It's a blessing to be with you all this Holy Thursday night. Uh, provides an unusual circumstance when I show up for such a special feast, a unique feast, uh, and I've done nothing to prepare for it. I don't know much about what uh, has happened here in the last months, uh, and it provokes you because oftentimes you can speak into the reality of what's happening in uh, people's lives. That's uh, the movement of the Spirit and the way, reasons that a priest is a father, is a part of a family. Uh, but in the preparation for it, I realized that moments in which you're sort of uh, taken out of that environment of familiarity makes you go deeper into the truth of what it is that we do here. And so the fact that I have to go deeper into the reality of the priesthood and the reality of the Eucharist and the reality of the liturgy and what is it that it means that I'm here, and it sort of breaks that, uh, or it, it causes us to go deeper than the place that uh, we can become familiar with. Right? And maybe all of you, when you saw me back there, were like, oh no, we don't get Father Vogel. <laughs> well, now you've got to go deeper. What's he, what are you here for? Are you here for him or for Jesus, right? So you go deeper. And in a real way, in a surprising way, uh, there's a little note inside of scriptures. You, like the, the, the readings are, are God's communication to us each day and every weekend. This is the way he wants to call us into this divine life. And, and we must always reflect upon our own circumstances in light of what's coming. It's nothing's an accident. Uh, and I love the reality of this uh, dynamic that when he's creating this great Paschal meal for the people he chose, the people he loves, he recognized, he said, if your family's too small for a whole lamb, it shall join the nearest household. Set ablaze. Right? If our houses are too small, we must join with others. But sometimes that makes us go deeper. Sometimes it's like, no, then I'm not in the familiar place. Then I'm not the one that gets to do this. Then I'm not. But right here, this is the dynamic and it causes us to wrestle. Right? It causes us to ask ourselves, well, how come they get the big family and they don't have to share? How come they don't have to have anyone over into their house? They don't have to pick up before every, right? All that stuff. Or you can just say, well, I guess this is the circumstance we're in and what God wants. I was uh, speaking with someone, I don't see him here, but someone from Dakota Dunes stopped in to pray this afternoon uh, and they were sort of marveling that they were like, oh, we already did all of that and it's excellent. I go to Mass about half the time here and then I go to Mass over there and then I get, and when I ever need a little family fix, I go to Elk Point. Or Jefferson, he said, has even more families at Elk Point, or whatever, you know? That we belong to something bigger than ourselves, but we do belong somewhere. And so every household of the Israelites had a place in which they were called into this relationship. They had a mother and a father who birthed them into this chosen family. And then there was a moment when they said, okay, you got to go next door and be with that family. And so we live this historical moment today for ourselves. And really important for us to think uh, about this, to really pay attention, especially uh, the young ones right up here in the front row. Uh, you guys got to really think this through. But maybe even some of the rest of you. This is a fact in human history. This event of the Last Supper 
is not merely a famous painting. It's not just one part of a neat thing that we do leading up to Easter. In its origin, it's a fact. There were a people who each year celebrated the Paschal mystery, the remembrance of the fact that they were saved by the Lord, that they were marked by the blood of this lamb. And there was a moment in which the lamb who would be slain for the fulfillment and salvation of all of human history entered into that feast for one last night. To transform it and to take it to a depth that nobody could have conceived or fathomed. And he says that. What I'm doing, you won't understand now. But you will. Two thousand years ago, this happened, and in all of our information coming at us, in all of our desires that we're attached to all over the place, and everything that we're doing, we can just forget. What does it mean that this happened? And then. How is it connected to us being here? Why does it matter for us here? Except that what began with those people and was taken to a depth through this Last Supper ended up becoming a means with which our destiny would be at stake that God would transform things in a way that we would be able to partake of something even far greater than what Moses and Aaron could. Does that impact us? Sometimes I'd uh, recognize, well, the reason it doesn't impact us is because we aren't like, we don't have a need. We don't realize we've been saved. We don't think we need to be saved. I mean, I didn't know I needed to be saved at least until I was about 26. I had everything together. Right? So if you're under 20 and you think you got it, you know, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. But then when I meet people who are under 20, I realize there's many things in their lives that burden them. But is there a convincing proposal that Christ is the Paschal mystery who wants to free us from even those things? The desire to belong somewhere when houses are split and we're all over the place, when we're filled with things and expectations that seem beyond what we can do, when the world is confusing and we don't understand that there is someone who understands something beyond us. And so that transmission comes down to us today. And it comes down to us in this celebration, the beginning of this Triduum Liturgy, in the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that we recognize the threefold dynamic of that meal that first happened and continues to happen for us. The ministry of the priesthood, the institution of the Eucharist, and the Lord's service and charity. We see very clearly that there was an instruction that we find in Scripture, right? The Bible isn't a book of instructions, but we find a way that they were living inside the Scriptures, and we see things Jesus said, right? And he said it to the apostles at the Last Supper, and then to Paul separately, he, he reminds them, I just received this thing from the Lord, and now I'm handing it on to you. 
On the night he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. This is my body that is for you. That what happened 2,000 years ago, the Lord wanted it for you in 2023 in the Dakota Dunes. How does it get here? It gets here through the priesthood. No priest, no Eucharist. But I don't know. If you look through the scriptures, I don't see any ordinations going on. In today's reading at the Last Supper, I don't see an ordination. Right? We see that in the early church, we see that right when they're going to institute the next leaders, that they lay hands on them. And we know that in apostolic succession and from bishop to bishop to bishop, that they lay hands on them. We know that in the ordination of those who will be at service to each bishop, he lays hands on us. But I don't see that here. But without the priesthood, there's no Eucharist. And with no Eucharist, there's no feeding of us the Paschal offering that was given 2,000 years ago. The promise of our immortality. United to Jesus Christ, the high priest. How is it that he would provide us this bread from heaven? My friends, we must go deeper. In the first reading that we have today from the book of Exodus, it begins with Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt beginning to describe this Paschal meal that's going to be offered for them. But it doesn't contain, as it goes forward into chapter 28, It says here, the priestly vestments, have your brother Aaron and with him, he's speaking to Moses, have your brother Aaron and with him his sons brought to you from among the Israelites that they may be my priests. For the glorious adornment of your brother Aaron shall have sacred vestments made. Therefore, tell the various artisans whom I have endowed with skill to make vestments for Aaron to consecrate him as my priest. Okay? We all know the Old Testament priesthood, okay? That's not, but you've got to follow what happens here, okay? Then in chapter 29, he says, the consecration of the priests. How did they become priests in the Old Covenant? This is the rite you shall perform in consecrating them as my priests. Procure a young bull and two unblemished rams. With bran flour, make unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil and put them in a basket. You already seeing where this is going, right? Aaron and his sons you shall also bring to the entrance of the tent of meeting and there wash them with water. Then out of the basket of unleavened food that you have set before the Lord, you shall take one of the loaves of bread 
one of the cakes made with oil and one of the wafers. All these things you shall put in the hands of Aaron and his sons so that they may raise them as an elevated offering before the Lord. And after you receive them back from their hands, you shall burn them on the top of the burnt offering on the altar of a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. The reason Peter changed his mind so quickly is his discovery of the fulfillment of what was happening to them, in which Jesus Christ, they would have understood very well what this all meant, ordained them and made them priests through the washing of their feet and pouring this water over them and then celebrating the Eucharist. And from this point, they then go out. And they are no longer the priesthood of the old covenant that offers a sacrifice over and over and over again. They are no longer a priesthood that is of Aaron and Moses. They belong to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And there is only one sacrifice that at this moment they do not yet fully understand. But they are being instructed on how they will be instruments of the Lord's salvation until the end of the world. By doing what? By washing others' feet. By making more priests who will then go out and take unleavened bread. Break it. Lift it to God and give thanks. And then give it to his people. A fact in history this is. That God desires you to be in communion with him to so close a degree that he will give you himself. The apostles and the disciples, even after the resurrection, we're going to do a little uh, uh, shortcut. We're going to talk about the resurrection real quick, right? They thought he was a gardener. So we shouldn't be worked up by the fact that sometimes we get attached to certain priests or certain places or certain people. They're God's instruments to us. But he loves us so much that in moments of our journey, he causes us to stop and have to join in new ways and make us go deeper into understanding what it is that we have been given. The charity and love of God come to you and me through the gifts of the priesthood that can make this sacrifice salvific for you and for all you love. At this altar through these hands, through that bread that is over there, 
we will do what Jesus instructed the disciples to do at that Last Supper. And this will not be something we're repeating from history. It's a fact, and it happens right here.